When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Hey, it's so great to be back with you. I love this church and have loads of friends here, and so it's really a joy to be with you again this morning. Happy to have my wife Mary with me this time. And uh, So yeah, we're talking about um, stranger beliefs, things about Christianity that seem upside down, things that people might consider hard to believe or crazy or embarrassingly weird or maybe even offensive. And I think speaking in tongues could be any of those things, could be all of those things, maybe. Could be hard to believe or crazy, a little bit weird. I think it's also a fun topic. I think at some level most of us are attracted to or are fascinated by strange things, strangeness. I know I am, a lot. Um, And I think it's good to embrace the strangeness of life. Because it's everywhere. Everybody's weird in their own way. Every individual is like both uniquely messed up and uniquely beautiful. Which means that every culture is also uniquely messed up and uniquely beautiful. And although there's some pathology in that, it's not all bad. There's some beautiful and glorious eccentricity in the human race. And to some degree... That's because there is astounding and beautiful diversity in the things God creates and in the gifts God gives. Wonderful diversity in the things God creates and in the gifts he gives. And just for example, if you start exploring the biodiversity of planet Earth, you will encounter some strangeness that makes speaking in tongues pale in comparison. So that's a good thing about today's topic. It's, it's strange. That's good. Here's another thing I like about today's topic. Speaking in tongues is not one of the non-negotiable things about Christianity. All Christians believe that Jesus died in our place and bore our sins. All Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. All Christians believe that God sends his Holy Spirit to live in those who trust and obey Jesus. But not all Christians believe that speaking in tongues like they did in the Bible is still on the table for Christians today. So... That's fine. We do. We do. We not only believe it, a lot of us practice it and enjoy it and find it profitable. But it's good to know, in case you're a little nervous, that being in right relationship with God does not depend on what you believe about speaking in tongues. And it certainly doesn't believe, 
depend on whether you speak in tongues. That's good. It is in the Bible, you know. It was in our text this morning, Acts 2, 1 through 12, which is the first instance where this thing occurs in the Bible. But it's not the last. It happens again in Acts 10, or something similar happens in Acts 10. A Roman army officer had contacted one of the apostles, Peter, and said, Come down to my house and tell me about Jesus. Peter was hesitant to go. At this time, all of the Christians were Jewish Christians, and he didn't know about going to be with some Gentiles, non-Jews. But God pretty much made him go, and when he got there, this Roman officer had gathered his family and friends and some of his associates, and uh, Peter began to talk to them about Jesus. And Acts 10, 44-46 says that while Peter was saying these things, while he was talking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that would be the good Jews who were with Peter, uh, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, or my, some translations say praising God. And you've got to know this pre- pretty much took everybody by surprise. First of all, the army officer and his family and friends and associates probably had no clue that such a thing was even possible. And Peter's friends certainly didn't think it was going to happen to this group. So everybody's shocked when this goes down. And I, I think it's fascinating to note that it says that they were extolling God. They were praising God. This is pretty routine. When people get filled up with God's Spirit, what routinely happens throughout the Bible is that they praise God. It's, it's, it's common, and it's also very important, as we will see. That's not the last time. It happens an, a, another time, and this time it's in Acts 19. There, the Apostle Paul ran into some guys, and they get to having some conversations about religious matters. And at the end of it, Paul tells them about Jesus, and then they're baptized, And then Paul lays hands on them, and Acts 19.6 says that when he did, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So, like, if speaking in tongues isn't bad enough, they're also prophesying. Things are getting worse. Speaking in tongues and prophesying have this in common. They're both ways of speaking with help from a spirit other than your own. And, and both things seem to happen fairly frequently when God's Spirit comes on people. In the New Testament here, we see people speaking in tongues and prophesying. But in the Old Testament, there's lots of examples of the Holy Spirit coming on somebody and they end up prophesying. That means they're saying things where the content or the energy or the power of what they're saying is being assisted by a spirit other than themselves, by the Holy Spirit. So, um, this is what happens. That's not the end of of this topic, though, in the Bible, because later on in one of Paul's letters, his first letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts, and speaking in tongues gets mentioned in each of those three chapters. It's mentioned as a gift of the Spirit. Another time in 12.7, it's called a manifestation of the Spirit, which if you say it in just the right tone of voice, sounds really spooky. A manifestation of the Spirit. Doesn't that sound spooky? See, and so, so it's mentioned as those things. And, and actually, those chapters are a great place to go if you want to do more research on spiritual gifts. 
But one of the things that we'll learn when we come back later on to this passage in 1 Corinthians is that there is more than one way that this gift of the Holy Spirit might be used or might, might show up. Before we go any further, though, I want to make a disclaimer. I don't actually like the phrase speaking in tongues. I mean, I like to speak in tongues, but I don't like the phrase speaking in tongues. Because um, the word that is translated tongues is usually translated languages. In fact, the, about the only time that the New Testament translators don't translate that same word, languages, languages, is when it's talking about this particular spiritual gift. And it's an archaic or uncommon way in English these days to refer to languages. So at St. Louis University, they have a department of languages, literatures, and cultures. But they do not have a department of tongues, literatures, and cultures, you might have noticed. And so by separating this out just for talking about this spiritual gift, I think it, 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 it turns it kind of into a technical term. And, and it's my least favorite kind of technical term, the exclusively, explicitly religious technical term. And, and I think that adds an extra layer of unnecessary weirdness to it. But having said that, I'm happy today to talk about speaking in tongues. Because we're talking about strange. And it sounds strange, which suits our purpose. So, um, but you know, I mean, to be honest, if we, con- if we like, translated everything consistently, everybody in your high school French class was speaking in tongues. So, so... In order to, to, to get into this, I want to think a little bit about today's text, uh, Acts 2, 1 through 12, and then the backstory behind today's text. Now, the backstory is, is that for three years before what happens in Acts 2, 1 through 12, Jesus had been out in public talking to people. And he had with him 12 uh, disciples or apprentices who, whom he had chosen. And then there were some other men and women who were hanging around with him a good deal of the time. And what he's doing is he's going from town to village to city, one place after another, and he's declaring that God's kingdom is coming to earth through him, that God is restoring his benevolent rule to humans who are suffering the consequences of having rebelled against him. And this is really good news. It's good news that God the king is coming to restore his rule through Jesus and, and so that's his message. That's what he's declaring. He's not only declaring it, he's also teaching. And a lot of his teaching, if you look at it closely, is about the nature and the culture of the kingdom of God. This is what it's like in God's kingdom. This is how we treat each other in God's kingdom. This is how we behave. This is what we love. And then in addition to proclaiming it and teaching about it, he was also manifesting it or demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God uh, which he did by doing things like forgiving people's sins and healing their bodies and delivering them from evil spirits and doing other kinds of acts of power that showed that God was here and in charge. So that was, that was what he was about for those three years. Now, the same time he's doing all that stuff out in public before the crowds, he's having regular conversations with his core people. And what he's routinely telling them is, I'm going to leave you pretty soon. And they did not like that. In, in fact, it didn't even like fit in with their religion. They, they, they're, they're, I, what they thought he was meant that they thought he was going to be like with us forever. So he's telling them, 
I'm going to leave you, and this doesn't sync up with either their desires or their view of who he is supposed to be. But he says it. And then along with that, there are some things that he consistently says about his leaving. And I've summarized some of these into like eight right here that I'm going to show on the screen for you. Some of these are direct quotations, and other, others of them are like paraphrases or summations. So let's look at those together. Here's he, here's he says this, it will be better for you if I go away. And by the way, none of them believed that. Nobody believed that. I mean, you think about it. If Jesus were here today with you and he said, hey, I'm going to leave, but it'll be better for you, you wouldn't believe that. So they didn't believe it either. He said, but here's why it's going to be better for you. If I go away, I'm going to send a helper to you. I've been your helper. Now I'm going to send you another helper. Helper could be translated counselor or advocate or comforter. It means somebody who's close, who offers assistance and protection. And so Jesus had been doing that, and he says, I'm going away, and I'm going to send you another comforter to be with you forever. And then he says, I'm going to go back to the Father, this is in John 14, 16, and 17, and I'll ask him, and he will send you the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Father is going to, they're going to team up to send the Holy Spirit to help us, to help the disciples. Then he says, thirdly, you know him. You know the Holy Spirit already because he's already with you. But he's going to bump things up a notch. He's already with you. Pretty soon, he's going to be in you. It's different to have a spirit with you than it is to have a spirit in you. You know? That's an extra layer of intimacy there when the Holy Spirit comes into you. And then he says in 15, 26, and 27, this spirit is going to testify of me. In other words, the Holy Spirit talks a lot about Jesus. And the reason he does is in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. He is the exact representation of the divine nature. So when the Spirit talks about Jesus, you're getting the fullness of God. The Spirit doesn't have to tell you anything that doesn't relate to Jesus for you to get all the goods, because all of the goods are in Jesus. See? And so he says, the Spirit will testify about me, and then when the Spirit's in you, you will also testify about me because, you know, it makes sense that when a spirit is in you, you say different things than you would if you didn't have a spirit in you. I mean, you could figure that out just by watching The Exorcist, right? Okay, so th this is what happens. You get God's spirit in you, and it testifies about Jesus, and you testify about Jesus. Then he says, this is the fifth one, everything that belongs to Father God is mine. Just let me ask you this. How much stuff belongs to Father God? Pretty much everything. All that belongs to God is mine, and, and the Spirit will take what is mine and will reveal it to you. That sounds like that could be a significant revelation, probably more than like would fit in the major library in this town, you know? So, so he's going to reveal all that to you. Then he says, this is the sixth one, the Holy Spirit will enable you to say the same stuff I say and do the same stuff I do. That's John 14, 12. And you can tell that one's a paraphrase because none of the translations that you are reading have the word stuff. Okay? But he's, that's what he's saying. You'll say the stuff, you'll do the stuff. And that leads to the seventh one where he says, I am just like a seed that will fall into the ground and die to itself and then spring up and produce a whole bunch of other seeds that have the same DNA and look the same and have the same purpose and accomplish the same things. And that's what it means to be a Christian. 
And then he says, finally, eighth one, this is how the good news of God's kingdom is going to reach the people I won't get to before I go back to heaven. And that's in two passages, one in John 12 and one in John 14. So Jesus talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And the reason he did is because he was counting on the Holy Spirit filling up his people in order for his mission about bringing the world back under God's benevolent rule was dependent on it. That was the way it was going to happen after he left and went back to be with his father. So after his resurrection and just before he, re he returns to the father, he reminded them of something important that, that the prophet John the Baptist had said about him and then that he had said about himself. And that's recorded in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. He said, you should wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard about from me. For John baptized in water. People would come to John. They'd say, I don't want to turn my back on what I've been before and turn back to God. And John would say, good for you. And they'd go down into the Jordan River, and John would put them down under the water. And, and, and he says, in the same way that John baptized people in water, you're going to be baptized in Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, that leads us then to what we read in today's text, Acts 2, 1 through 12, where that promise is fulfilled. And he said not many days, and it was just about a week later that Jesus' crew gets filled with the Holy Spirit, drenched in the Holy Spirit, submerged and saturated with the Holy Spirit, just like John and then Jesus said would happen. And then they start speaking in languages they never learned and probably saying things that they didn't understand. And a bunch of people from, from different nations hear the disciples speak in these languages that they do understand in their native language. And they're pretty sure that the guys who are talking never studied those languages. And verse 11 says that what they hear is the disciples loudly proclaiming the mighty works of God. Kind of sounds like that praise thing we talked about earlier. The mighty works of God. Now, now listen. Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will testify about me, and then he's going to be in you, and then you're going to testify about me, I think it's a safe assumption that the mighty works they were talking about included the mighty works that had recently been accomplished through Jesus. And if you understand the time frame here, this is important, because God has done a lot of great things. <clears throat> That'd be a great place to say amen. God has done a lot of great things. Amen. Yeah, he has. But some of the biggest and boldest and best things that God ever did had happened in the five or six weeks just prior to what happened on Pentecost. And let's think about what a few of those are. Really big things, like, for example, God raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And also, he fixed the alienation brought about between himself and the human race. And also, he canceled the debt of countless sins, past, present, and future, on a single day. Woo. And what's this trick that God plays on the forces of darkness where they conspire to kill his son and think it's a win? And, and, and they, they're allowed like 36 hours of optimism. And then bam, joke's on you. We knew what we were going to do from before the beginning of time. I mean, that's huge. And so... When the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples are getting revelation, and they're seeing things about this, about things about Jesus they never knew. Jesus said all kinds of things the disciples didn't understand. When the Holy Spirit comes, they start to understand things that Jesus said. And, oh, that's what he meant. And they're probably hearing things coming out of one another's mouths and thinking, wow, I never heard you say anything like, like that before. You sound a lot like Jesus. You know, things like that are going on. And, and you know, the, the, the revelation of God's 
plan and his love and his power for the human race is huge. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit's putting all this in their minds and in their hearts, and it's explosively big. And it's coming out of their mouths, and they don't know what they're saying, but they kind of know what they're thinking. It's something like Jesus. Whoa! He's like bigger and better than we knew. What did we fall into? Three years ago, I'm there by my boat. I'm catching fish. He comes along and says, follow me. Now here we are three years later. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling the nations, receiving the adoration of countless angels, my fishing buddy. See, I mean, that blows your mind, doesn't it? So, so this is what it is. It's this overflow of revelation that's coming to them, and it's the revelation of Jesus. And, and, and it wasn't the only time they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit over and over again. It says in Acts 4, they're filled with the Spirit again. And, and we, too, can be filled with the Spirit daily, you know. And, and I, I, but it, it's never been as dramatic for me as this story in Acts 2. I never had the fire on my head thing. Never happened once, you know. I think that that situation in Acts 2 is kind of a special case. It was like the big kickoff party for the Spirit-filled church, so there was lots of fireworks, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I just like think about those guys, you know. They're thinking like, okay, like two hours ago, we're hiding behind locked doors. Then it sounds like a train comes through the room. Now it's like my head's on fire, and somebody says I'm praising God in Parthian or something like that. You know, I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing. So uh, 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 it's not like that for me. It's not like that for me exactly. Um, you know, I think in their case, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's like projecting the glories of the risen Christ onto the frontal lobe of their brains in 3D, you know. And, and, uh, it's, and I think it's almost like speaking in tongues for them is like this pressure release valve for this massive overflow of revelation of the glories of Christ. But, but listen, if it's not that big for you, it can be in some way similar. It has been for me. I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. I have tasted Pentecost light. And, uh, and it's always resulted in me praising God with new words and new energy. Always does. I mean, if I wake up this morning and say, God, fill me with the Spirit, and he does, and I start praising God, I will be praising God with help that I get from heaven by the Spirit, you know, and with new words and new energy, just like he said, the Spirit testifies of me, and when he's in you, you will testify of me. And sometimes when you're praising Jesus, the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, if you are doing that, the Holy Spirit's helping you see Jesus more clearly and helping you appreciate him, and sometimes he also helps you get a better vocabulary. So, then on to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which we mentioned earlier, where we get a slightly different look at speaking in tongues. And here... Paul describes several other ways this gift might be used, and at the same time, he gives us some information about prophecy, um, that other form of spirit-empowered speech. So let's look, uh, you know, there's three chapters, we'll look at three verses, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and especially prophecy, for one who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Okay, let's look at this phrase by phrase. I want to start with the phrase, the one who speaks in his tongue does not speak to people but to God. When someone speaks to God, we normally call that prayer. So speaking in tongues is, or speaking in this unknown languages, is prayer. And when we do this, when someone does this, God is helping that person speak to God. 
God is helping you speak to God. You need help actually talking to God. The Bible says we do not know how to pray as we should. So the good news is God helps us pray. And one way he can do this is by uh, enabling us to pray in other languages. Uh, That's not the only way that he helps us, but we always need his help to pray. It's wonderful. God gives us ideas. God gives us words. God enables us to pray beyond our own understanding. Uh, I also like this phrase, no one understands him. No one understands him. That's the second phrase I want to look at. No one understands the person who speaks in a tongue, he says, which means that it's got to be a little bit different than what happened on Pentecost because their people did. Some people say it's a different gift. I think it's more likely it's a different use of the same gift. So in 1 Corinthians 14, we see actually two additional ways that this gift of tongues might be helpful, uh, ways in addition to what happened on Pentecost, and it might be good for us to list those, these three ways. The first way would be this gift could be used to be understood in a language the speaker did not learn. That's what happened on Pentecost. It still happens from time to time. In my experience, it's pretty rare. Um, and, and by the way, no one in this phrase, no one understands him, appears to include the speaker. Paul says clearly more than once in 1 Corinthians 14 that the person who prays in a tongue does not understand what they're saying. So they may have some vague idea of what's going on in their head or in their heart, but the Spirit is pr- supplying the language and enabling them to communicate beyond their understanding. I think it's massively important to be able to communicate with God beyond your understanding. And do you know why? Your understanding is limited. So it's really helpful to be able to communicate with God beyond your understanding, to ask for better things than you could ask for on your own, to, to be able to pray about situations that you can't really get your head around, to ask God to do things when you don't really know what you want Him to do. It's helpful to be able to pray beyond your understanding. So Paul, in chapter 14, uses this idea of praying beyond your understanding is like praying in the Spirit. You can pray with your mind. That is great. Ask for what you know and understand. Talk out of what you know and understand. But it's also helpful to talk beyond what you know and beyond what you understand because your understanding is limited. Seems pretty rare. So no one understands him. I I, I do think, you know, um, this thing where you speak in a language that you haven't learned and people understand you, I think it's pretty rare. It's never happened to me. It's never happened to me that I, I speak in something I don't understand and somebody comes up to me and say, I understood that. Now here's something that has happened to me more than once. I speak in English to a group of people who I'm sure, pretty sure speak English and they don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> that does happen. <clears throat> that happened a lot with my kids where routinely... My words were almost miraculously incomprehensible. So that's the first way. Second way would be to to speak to God, to pray in private. And I've already mentioned some of the benefits of that. Paul must have done this a lot. He says in in, uh, 14.18, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He tells the people in Corinth that. And I just noticed this week that he didn't say more than any of you, at least in English. The English text says, doesn't say more than any of you. It says more than all of you, which made me wonder if he meant like I pray in tongues more than all of you put together, which kind of intimidated me a little bit. He then says in the next verse, though, that when he's with people, he prefers to speak with his mind and in a language that they understand. So, so 
that, that makes me think that most of the time that he was doing this, he was by himself and just talking to God. And that seems to be the most common use when I'm talking to people today. It, it occasionally happens in meetings. It very rarely happens where somebody speaks and somebody understands something. You know. But the most common thing is it's just a, a way that people use to help them pray and to communicate with God. The third way, you know, so to speak to God in private, and then thirdly, to speak in a language uh, that people don't understand. And, and, and this third one, if there's no interpretation, this is a waste of time. And later on in the chapter, Paul spends a good deal of time explaining, to, to my mind, when I've read it, I thought, man, he's going on and on about this. But Paul thinks it's pretty worthless to go to meetings where there's a whole bunch of stuff being said that doesn't make sense to you. So he says, always have an interpretation. And that would be true whether it's spiritual language or whether somebody's just speaking a foreign language. I mean, you know, if you had somebody come in here from Pakistan and they're talking to you and not very many of you understand the language, you would want an interpreter or you'd get bored fast. So that's what he says about any kind of language that people don't understand. It's not that helpful, which which seems obvious to me. The, the, The next phrase, the third phrase that I want to look at, he says, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Christians are supposed to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We're not supposed to be timid about them. We're not supposed to be afraid of them. They're all good. And so since we're talking about speaking in tongues today, we just got to say praising God beyond your understanding is good, and this is something you should desire. Paul says in 1230, um, not everybody has this gift. Then in 14.5, he says, but I wish everybody did. So I think if Paul wishes everybody did, I can wish that too. And I just wish generally that more people spoke in tongues about as broadly as I wish other people Merry Christmas. And um, so, um, and, and there's this, you know, so this thing about like praying beyond your understanding, Paul describes that as like praying in the Spirit. There could be multiple ways to pray in the Spirit. You could probably pray in the Spirit in English where you end up asking God for something in English that you weren't thinking about. It like goes beyond what you understood. You could pray, occasionally pray something in English that's beyond your understanding. But praying in tongues is definitely praying beyond your understanding. You don't know what you're saying there. And, and he says that this is helpful, and Jude says in his little letter that when you pray in the Spirit, pray beyond your understanding, you're building up your faith. And I thought for a while, how does that work? And here's what I finally concluded. Like if I pray in an unknown language, one of two things is happening. Either the Holy Spirit is enabling me to communicate with God beyond my understanding, or I am saying nonsense into the air and I'm crazy, you know. Now, it is possible that both things are true, that I am crazy and I'm also communicating with God by the Holy Spirit. But I think that every time I do this, I'm, here's one of the things I'm doing. I'm committing myself to the supernatural nature of my relationship with God. I'm basically saying I'm trusting that something I don't understand actually works. I think it's massively important if you're dealing with God to learn to trust things you don't understand because there are all sorts of things about God we don't understand very well. And this is one reason why, while I desire that all Christians would have this gift and be able to use it, I especially wish for super smart people who are very impressed with their own mental abilities to get this gift because it's especially good for them to experience something that they can't explain and it still works, you know? So all you smart people, you really need this gift. All right, so, and then the last phrase to look at is the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And so this is that other thing. 
where God not only enables us to speak to him and to have better conversations with him than we could without the Spirit, he enables us to say things to other people that we couldn't say without the Holy Spirit. And this is wonderful. When somebody prophesies, God is helping them say things that bring strength to the weak or supply courage to the fearful or that bring comfort to the sorrowful. So this is massively important, and and God enables us to say better things than we could without his help. My wife was telling me that there was something, you know, on television where somebody said on some show that, you know, talking to God is one thing, but if you think God talks to you, that's mental illness. Hey, listen, if that's the case, man, I plead guilty. I am out of my mind because I totally believe that God talks to his people by the Holy Spirit. Totally does and enables us to say better things to each other than we could otherwise have said. So, here's what I want to say about speaking in tongues. It's a real thing, it's a good thing, it's in the Bible, and it's also a strange thing. It was when it first happened, and it still is. But the even stranger thing than that is this. By His Holy Spirit, the God who made heaven and earth comes and lives in human bodies. That is super strange. And by His Holy Spirit... Jesus, the Son of God, who you've read about in the Bible and many of you admire, can come and be with you, closer than a brother, closer than a friend, closer than your spouse, forever. Not only that, the Holy Spirit will help you pray. By His Spirit, you can communicate with God better than you could ever have done without Him. The Holy Spirit, who is God, can enable you to ask God for a better set of things than you ever would have thought to ask for without his help. The Holy Spirit can enable you to communicate with God about things you can't get your head around well enough to find words for. The Holy Spirit can help you effectively communicate with God when you have no clue what to say and can enable you to praise God out of the deepest part of your heart and soul and express gratitude that you could never express on your own. And the Holy Spirit will give you words to say to others. The Holy Spirit can bring through you better comfort to your grieving and sorrowful friends than you could ever bring them all by yourself. And by the Holy Spirit, you can speak strength to weak people. And by the Holy Spirit, you could speak words that bring courage to the fearful and the timid. And that would be a wonderful thing. Now, maybe you showed up here this morning already convinced that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. Maybe you were trusting him when you arrived already this morning for this life and for the next. And if that's you, if you're in that, in that category, I would say embrace the supernatural nature of your new life in Jesus. Christianity is a supernatural religion. God is supernatural. The resurrection from the dead is strange and supernatural and wonderful. And being born again is a miracle. It's not just, it's not just a philosophical shift. You are dead. And God raised you to life. And being indwelt by a spirit other than your own is strange. And I would say don't be afraid of any of the gifts of the spirit. There are no bad ones. And, and, then, and then there may be some of you who came here this morning with big unanswered questions about God or about the Bible, or about what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to say on behalf of the the whole church, man, we're so glad you spent this time with us this morning. So glad you're here. And 
If you've got Christian friends, you've probably heard them talk about the joy of having a clean conscience, or maybe you know, you've heard them talk about enjoying peace with God. You may have heard that being in Jesus gives a sense of purpose to, to life that was previously missing, and all of that is true. I'm telling you, it's all true. But today, I'm, I want to commend another reason for you to listen because, because there's a chance that in the back of your head or deep in your heart, you're hearing this small, still voice just whispering to you. I see you, and I know that you are worn out and loaded down, and I would like you to come to me, and I would give you rest. And, and if you've been hearing that, I want to give you one more reason to say yes and come to him, and that's this. If you come to Jesus and trust him completely, Jesus will send, and his Father will send the Spirit of God to come and live in you forever. And, and that's strange. Strange. And it's wonderfully true. Let's stand, for, let's stand together. I want to pray.